You're listening to Work Tape, Episode 3. Welcome to the third installment of the Work Tape podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mitchell Palmer, with the best shirts in the business. Next to me is Isaac Grover, the brains behind the operation. We're going to jump right into this one. We had some new tracks come out pretty recently, which is very, very exciting because in 2020, there seemed to be some good music, but not really from the artists we wanted. And now we get a lot more music coming out now, uh, just in time for the summer. More things are starting to reopen, which I think is also perfect. So let's just jump right into this. So Lord, after how many years? Uh, after what was it melodrama Melodrama from 2017 so it's been what four years four years yeah Yeah. after four years comes back with solar power a new single here which we both listened to that's right we made sure to listen to it right before this podcast started guys so we can give you our uh negativity just kidding (laughs) i have mixed feelings on it i think lord herself is sounding very very good she's kept her voice in tip-top condition which is particularly impressive because kind of more of her raspy style of singing that's gotten a fair amount of singers in trouble, such as Adele, who makes great albums but can't seem to finish her tours. And speaking of Adele, where is that album? It's been six years for Adele. Wow. And Ryan Tedder apparently came out and said that it's her best album yet, but with no singles or no teasers, I have yet to believe that. And I almost wonder if he's just saying that because he has more tracks on it. So he's supposedly in on it. I think he is. Anyway, Back to Lord. So she releases this song, Solar Power, has this kind of acoustic slow burn buildup, very summery, very anthemic, layered vocals as, you know, a Lord staple. So once again, it kind of sounds directly in her wheelhouse. And I particularly like this track because it is more uplifting. It's more uptempo, especially in comparison to the Olivia Rodrigo album, as well as the Billie Eilish album, which while being fantastic in their own right, is a little more of sad hours type music. This is something that I'm going to chill to at the beach and whatnot. But you being more of the Lord fan, I think you have a lot to say on this. Right. Well, I've always had the utmost respect for her. I remember that when she came out with Heroin, that was a different scope with pop music. For me, that was actually a nevermind moment. It was a moment where this style of pop was here to stay and it was here at the mainstream. And I know a lot of people say that for Billie Eilish. If Billie Eilish were Nirvana, I consider Lord the Pixies. Okay. Lord and Adele both were doing that thing before Lana Del Rey got really big and obviously Billy right now. So yeah, Lord to me is like the queen of that sound. Absolutely. She's one of those queens. Judging just based on what Lord has done, she's always been good. Absolutely. Out of all the songs that I listen to from Lord, more often than not, she hits the nail on the head mm-hmm. and I need to listen to melodrama. I, everyone tells me about it, but I really need to kind of give my two cents. Mm-hmm. The single itself, Solar Power, it's good. It's just, it's underwhelming compared to what she's usually done. Uh So I think it's a compliment when I hear something like Solar Power and think like, that's something that she did in her sleep. Yeah. She could do better. It's not bad, but she could totally do better. Yeah. And uh, we were talking a little bit before about some comparisons to some famous songs. Oh, yeah. Um, like, yeah, I found my uh, my desire to sing Hey Jude at the end of the song mm-hmm. because basically, even if not in the same key, it's the same exact progression. Yeah. And then what I pointed out was, you know, the comparisons to George Michael's Freedom as well. With yes, the, that was with your course. You can elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, no. And just the way that the piano is and the way that they arpeggiate it and kind of do a, a slow burn build up into a really anthemic kind of sound is very reminiscent of what George Michael did on that particular single, which is one of my favorite songs. OK, period. It's really great. 
And George Michael, I think, was somebody who, while he got a lot of his flowers, I think that it took his death for a lot of people to realize just how much he contributed to pop music, especially with him coming into his own after leaving Wham! in the mid-80s and coming out with Faith and kind of setting a, a different standard. A lot of gospel influence I hear on his records, which is always something that I particularly enjoy a lot. I think once again, it's it's very complimentary that we are comparing what Lord is doing to legends in their own rights. And I think that, you know, Lord herself in a big respect for pioneering this independent, emotional type of pop music, I think she was a pioneer in her own right as well. And I think that even though she only has three studio albums or, well, a forthcoming third studio album, I think that you know, at this point, I don't think she has a lot to prove per se. No, a lot of people regard her so highly. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a really honorable place to be. Yeah. To be where she is, that her music is so interesting and so different and just iconic, really, when you think about it. Of course. You know, indicative of the 2010 sound. Yeah. These artists set the bar, whether right. it's low or high, they set the bar with what they do. And, and, you know, fans usually expect some sort of consistency with that. And I think change is good, but I also think that you can make bad changes. Oh, we've discussed many of the bad changes. Yes, that have but those exist. And some people like will say you can't do that. Yeah, you can. Like if an artist sets a bar and it's really good and they go below it, why wouldn't critics feel a little off about something? Absolutely. And I, I want to say with Lord, I think those some of those songs, especially Kanye is one of those people, by the way. Oh, yeah. Kanye is definitely one of those people. I mean, he is so willing to completely go 180 off of every new record. I think his record's actually coming out as well. I think he has a, a new true Kanye record because as much as I I did find some great moments in Jesus is King. Right. It still felt more like a passion project or more kind of like. Didn't it feel more like a concept album or like a side project? A side project. Yeah. I gave it like a 7.7. No. no, uh, Yeah, it's not really too coincidental, but that's pretty good. I mean, that's that's better than what Fantano gave it. So, I mean, you have to give a lot of. What did he give it? I think he gave it a six or five that's or, not too bad five or a six oh, okay well five is quite lower than but i mean seven. he gave my beautiful dark twisted fantasy a seven and got <laughs> reamed for it and is still getting sent to the stake for his review on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy i'm more entertained by fontana's uh his antics i'm very definitely entertained by it yeah and i think his stance on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy probably put him on the map even more so just because everybody was literally praising that album like it was the second coming musically and don't get me wrong very much in the hip-hop sense yes it is an instrumental album especially in the early 2010s right but considering that he was not just completely fawning over it in the way that pretty much every major music publication was, and especially the way that fans were, I think that did kind of set him apart as somebody to really look at. And, you know, I think that rooted his thing. And we do put those pressures on, on artists. People take him so seriously. Yeah. Ratings are really there to give the listener and people who are listening to critics a reference. That's what ratings are for, really, at the end of the day. It's really just to hear one person why they think what they think, Mm -hmm. why they didn't like it, why they liked it. And it's still an art form. Absolutely. So I don't think just anyone can do it. You have to listen to a bunch of records before you can do that. And Anthony's put in the time. Yeah. And you have to be able to listen to the records in a different way as well. You can't just listen to it in the traditional way that many people are going to consume music. You have to actively listen. Very much in the same way that film critics have to actively watch films for that sense as well. So I find it a way of balancing it between what you think about it, what other people think about it, and kind of just what it is, regardless of what you or the other person thinks about it. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I think this way about it, but what is it really, you know? Mm-hmm. 
and why do I like it and why do I dislike it? And the thing that's great about prolific music critics or critics of art in general is that they can get audiences into pieces of art that they may have not gotten into um, right. just the on their own accord. Someone. Right. They, it's almost like they are a walking ad Correct. or uh, they are a walking persuasive essay. That's kind of how that whole video essay thing on YouTube <laughs> blew up too, because there was a few people that were able to do that. And now video essays are kind of the standard, especially in music. I've seen so many on prolific artists, Kanye, Kendrick, they'll focus on smaller artists too. And Lord, going back to Lord, I think I've seen a few on her as well. She's definitely deserving of all of that. Her music is something that I think you'll get more out of as you listen to for it. I think some of those songs, especially off of Pure Heroin, you know, Royals, Tennis Court, um, a lot of those types of songs are still going to be appreciated years down the line as they were when they came out. Kind of like Channel Orange by Frank Ocean has aged really well. And Frank is one of those guys, too. When he hits, he really, really hits. And then everything else is kind of like, hmm, right. I don't know. Especially with some of the recent stuff going like way experimental. I'm like, right. eh, I'm not sure if I can I can get into it. Was he trying to pull a Kanye? Uh I would say no, because Frank is more of a recluse. He's like the complete antithesis of somebody like Kanye. Well, I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, in the creative sense, that's kind of what I was talking about. More like that creative rebellion. Like, ah, I'm just going to totally just. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because that's what Kanye does. Definitely. Because Frank is at the point where he can make basically what he wants to make. Right. And he's at that status where people are going to enjoy it regardless. He's just at that level where he doesn't need to please mainstream radio. He doesn't need to please kind of mainstream music audiences. It's a rite of passage. Absolutely it is. And there's only certain artists that are in it. You know, Death Grips is a very good example, too. No, you're not hearing that on mainstream. Uh, it's just <laughs> no. it's just all over the place. But no, I, th I like that Lord track. John Mayer put out a new track as well last Friday, I believe, which was very exciting for me as a John Mayer fan. I've been in defense of John Mayer actually numerous times just because I think that he really is doing some great music, especially from a songwriting perspective. I don't think people really give him his due credit, especially with the way that he writes lyrics. Um, you know, they lump him into a similar type of criticism that they've lumped artists like Coldplay into as well for being almost too derivative or being like too, too vanilla. I've definitely heard the word corny when describing John Mayer's albums. But, you know, if you want to talk about people who pioneered sounds in a big way, I think he set the stages for other acoustic balladeers such as Ed Sheeran, for example, kind of more one man shows in that way. I'm trying to think of who's the other guy on guitar is. I mean, Ed Sheeran is the one that definitely comes to mind. Oh, Sean Mendes. Actually, that's a great Shawn example. Sean Mendes. That's a good example. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that both of those artists have played with John on different occasions and he's brought them out for live shows. So I think he's even aware of it. He knows the influence that he has. On he knows what he's doing. Definitely. And that Last Train Home record, it's very 80s, which now is actually considered current. Like 1986, 1987, unfortunately. Do you have a taste for the early 80s or the late 80s? Early you, 80s. Sounds early, so much better. Early 80s early were 80s. amazing. Bands that were huge in the 80s sounded so much better in the earlier half of the decade. Right, because there were still kind of like fragments of the 70s. 70s, 80s is way better than 90s, 80s. You have a good point, though, because the mid 80s, yeah, that, that is when you got like hair metal. Like hair metal was like here to stay. I actually wouldn't have said out of my mouth that hair metal is good, but I got to be honest here. I mean, there, there's some good hair metal. I had a friend that turned me on to Van Halen and, you know, and Scorpions and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Rat and Poison, White Snake. 
I'm not huge on it. Yeah. But there's some good stuff in it. It's a taste. It's an acquired taste. It depends on what you like. Definitely. Van, I mean, Van Halen, White Snake, Poison, GNR, even to yeah. a large extent. Yeah. I think that GNR are good technically. I don't know. I think Axel is just a bit much for me. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, it's Bob v- Dylan did it better. Anyway, go on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, back to the knocking on heaven's door. Nice. Anyways. So the- I'm like, oh, okay, we got I mean, it. It's, we got it, dude. I mean, he, he. it's very interesting because I see a lot of comparisons with Axl Rose and like Janice in a way, um, just with like vocal tone and like that. Kind Genesis of- is amazing. Well, Janice is amazing, but I do. Wait, did you say Genesis? No, Janis Joplin. Oh, gotcha. No, not not Genesis with Phil Collins. I was gonna That's say the, I was, that I was like, Genesis po- is amazing. Genesis is amazing. I don't really hear it, but I love Genesis. No, no, Genesis is great. That's a topic for a different video. Right. Genesis is fantastic. I think that Phil Collins is another artist that gets a lot of unnecessary hate. I like Another Day in Paradise. I think Another that Day in that, Paradise is great. That's an amazing song. That's fantastic. That's oh, an amazing oh, yeah. song. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you listen to Collins and you kind of hear Sting. They're pretty similar sometimes. But I mean, sometimes. But I mean, Sting and Phil Collins were kind of like producing each other's records at that time. They were kind of really, they were True. really tight. You know, they were both coming from the point where they went solo after being part of huge bands with The Police and Genesis, respectively. Oh, the egos, dude. Oh yeah, that's Oh the egos. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is, I mean this is great. We're going to be able to segue into this perfectly. This new Last Train Home, it sounds very Toto. It sounds very Africa Rosanna, especially with the Congos and the synths. It's a good song. John Mayer is obviously playing into the 80s revival trend heavily and just deep dove into it, and I think that it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I do want to oh, hear man. the rest of the record though because I think that the better parts of John Mayer records are actually the song that don't get uber popular. I can see Last Train Home, you know, being a, a summer jam, but I think some of the deeper cuts is kind of where John really shines. I did like that Search for Everything album that he put out four years ago. I think there's some great tracks on it. Moving on and getting over is fantastic. Still Feel Like Your Man is a fantastic song. Emoji of a Wave, horrible title, great song. That is one of the worst <laughs> titles I have ever heard a song. I mean, I get it because he can't actually put an emoji in the title, but still, that is very, Uh, very 2017. Let's just put it that way. It's even worse when you're trying to be relevant from like three or four years ago. Right, exactly. But I think that, like I said, you know, back to the idea of egos and how that affects artists. John Mayer is a perfect example of that. And I think the reason that he doesn't get held in as high of a regard as maybe he could be is because when he was getting popular off of those songs, Why Georgia Daughters, you know, that kind of sound, he was very egotistical, said some things that most likely he's probably regretting now still. And that was the big thing, a bit of an oversharer apparently with his relationships. But I think that's a big thing. I think the way that the artists will present themselves, even if they make great content. Dude, it's almost always going to affect you. Right. People are going to judge you based on how you act. It's how it is. Of course. And Kanye is in that boat as well. The difference was is that Kanye came at it like from the get go. This is why I didn't like him when I was a kid. Yeah. Granted, gave his catalog a try and I realized I was wrong about him from an artistic standpoint. And I could do that. But then there are times where I'm like, no, I think it sucks. <laughs> but, Con- but Kanye is actually pretty good. But his his attitude was annoying, dude. Right. Because when you when you see yourself as a god, 
and you realize that you're not God. And then like your music really isn't godlike anyway. It's not really that amazing compared to what God could obviously do. Then you judge it based on that. So if you see yourself as a god, but your music is just as good as probably some of the better humans, yeah. it's really not that great. So it kind of rubbed you the wrong way when on Jesus he had a track. I was I am not a god. the only one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it just it, I am a god. Like I honestly like graduation. There's actually some deep cuts on that record that I really like. Homecoming with Chris Martin of all people is on that, and yeah, and that was great because what a totally unexpected feature on a rap song, but yeah. a fitting one. Yeah. yeah, to hear Chris Martin all over it, it was great, and that probably was in a way, whether I knew it or not, probably an introduction for me to Chris Martin, and for Chris Martin being the frontman of one of the biggest bands ever, very seemingly humble, very low key about his fame, and as a matter of fact, it seems like he's kind of being more philanthropic philanthropic in that sense he's extremely philanthropic but i do like the evolution of kanye's attitude to be honest i think yeah. it's a little bit more fitting you know what i mean we could talk about the music we could talk about the personality but when you're a famous artist and your personality is put into it people are going to talk about it well and here's the thing with kanye so much of his personality changed after his mom died and we got 808 which i think is incredibly instrumental to hip-hop and r&b from that point forward because that album basically laid the groundwork for drake I mean, Travis Scott too, but I really think Drake was the biggest artist to backpedal off of that sad boy rap and R&B and basically kind of did his own version of it. But with Kanye, like I said, he had that ego coming right out of the gate, even before his first album came out. Right. He was saying that he was going to be the best artist since Michael Jackson. Reading through his tweets is a gold mine because he said something about his biggest regret is not being able to see himself perform live, which is just insane. <laughs> um, but I love the confidence because I do think if you're going to make it as an artist in especially today's landscape, to be outlandish and to have a slight bit of delusion, I think is... It works is what you're saying? Yeah, it's going to help you. I think that... Would you say it's essential? Yes, to a certain degree. If you go too far with it, then... Yeah, it's not so black and white. Is then what you're, you're going to be lumped into a, a category that you don't really want to be in. But I think even with just a lot of creative ventures, having that confidence that your content is great and believing in that and in maybe some ways even telling yourself like, yeah, you know, this is a cut above maybe what some other people are putting out. I think that really does help that process along. But yeah, no, I mean, Kanye Axel, Sting, Phil Collins. I mean, those are all examples of massive, massive egos. And the thing about all of those is that you do listen to their music and it almost justifies it. And I say the key word in there is almost justifies True. how big they can be. It's like you can hear why they got so big, but then at the same time, you're like, okay, but why you got to be like that? Right, exactly. Especially with many of them being the way they are in terms of if their music is being used in a right. certain way. Or like the greatest band of all time, how all those guys were. Yeah, right. And, you know, the whole- I don't need to see the name. <laughs> yeah, no, cut, you know, cutthroat in terms of even if somebody samples them too and whatnot. Because I know with Juice World sampling uh, Sting's Shape of My Heart, Sting kept pretty much every single royalty off of that song. Which makes sense because Juice World did basically take pretty much the entire framework of that song and just create a new melody over it. I mean, rest in peace, Juice World. I think another artist that was taken way too soon. But that's, of course, a different topic entirely for a different day. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, in that case where if you are taking pretty much the entire framework of a song and just doing a different melody line, then I think you're entitled to keeping pretty much all the royalties. But if you're taking like a second 
second or two and doing something completely different with it, then I think it's something else entirely. But you do say that you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, you you reap what you sow. So if you're going to take someone's song, don't be surprised if they come for you. Right. And by the way, I think people, they ask these hard questions. Well, what would you do? I think it's really easy. I just ask a question. How would you feel if someone did this to you? Right. What should you do if someone does this thing to you? Or should should we be allowed to do this? I don't think it's okay to do something bad back to someone if they do it to you. But yeah. let's be honest. How do people typically respond? If you are poking a bear and the bear comes at you, why are you blaming the bear for coming at you? Right. I have an interesting take on this, and I'm sure you may be feeling a similar way because we're both artists who are making our own original things at the core. And so I think to myself, too, well, if I get to a certain level where people are sampling me, I have a few different aspects. Yes. Number one, I'm entitled to some royalties of a percentage of that song. But number two, I think about it on the other hand, which is number one, I have a morbid curiosity to hear how they're (laughs) going to repurpose it. Just because right. there is great repurposing, then there is things where you're like, what have they done to my boy? But I would be curious to see, you know, what sections they took, how they repurposed it, how they made it their own. Right. But the other thing, too, would be... And how much of their own it really is. Right. Additionally, on top of that, is going to say, well, okay, I must be doing something right. Because if all of these other people are willing to sample me, then this music is going to live on way past me in my creative prime after I'm done. I think sampling is good. Yeah. I think it's a great thing. It's just people need to, one, be careful. Yes. And actually be careful by number two, going, doing your homework, making sure you resolve matters before things go bad and don't think like, oh, no one's going to notice. And then number three, you need to respect that you're taking someone's art and just kind of realize, you know, you accept any repercussions that come if you do not cover your tracks properly. Yeah. But I think that it's good that it exists. And I think any artist would be honored to be sampled. I mean, I guess some get really mad about it. <laughs> I think it'd be cool to be sampled. I Absolutely. think it'd be great. You know, even if someone just kind of gave me a credit, like. Yeah, sure. But I think this freedom of artistry is important. But you know what I also say? If someone doesn't want to be sampled, don't sample them. Right. That's what I say, because it doesn't matter how good it is. If someone said, hey, uh, bro, could you like not sample me? Oh, sure. Got you, fam. And then you sample them <laughs> like, OK, <laughs> I, I just don't understand where people's heads are at. <laughs> That's why you didn't hear too much of Prince being sampled, because he made that very abundantly clear. Yes. If the man does not want to be sampled, I just I just respect say, his wishes. Just leave it alone. bro. Yeah. Especially since <laughs> especially since he's no longer with us either. Like, oh, yeah, res- yeah, like, yeah. Especially, I think that's the thing too, artists that are alive in terms of getting that clearance to where you could go to them personally and ask for clearance is a lot different than artists that are dead where you have to go through their estate and then there's kind of this whole morality aspect to it. Yeah, but since when do people pay attention to morals? Well, right? yeah, especially in music. <laughs> especially in music. Oh, it's fair game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no one cares absolutely. about what you think. That's why it shocked me. <laughs> That Drake had the audacity to sample Michael Jackson on Scorpion. There's a song on there that has a a Michael Jackson uh, vocal sample. Now, obviously, he's at the level where he can pay those clearance fees. Yeah. But I forgot. What did he do, though? Did he actually do it? Yeah, he did. Okay, well, that's yeah, he did. It's on his record and it's great. Um, But and he's obviously at that point. He's 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 balling so hard that. Wait, ballin' or ballin'? I'm trying to ballin'. Like ballin'. Like ballin'. Yeah. Ballin' his eyes out or he's like ballin' like. Well, he's on top. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a term for he's, he's rolling, rolling, okay, he- so rolling, he's, rolling heavy in the 
So he's in his bag. He's gotcha, a, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, 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 no. Because there was also the ball in, in your eyes. Like, wait, wait, was he crying? No, 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 no not bawling <laughs> eyes out. No, no, he's very much in the bag to the point gotcha. where licensing fees are, are a non-issue. But I do think that it is kind of a morality thing of like, uh, Mike's not around for it to clear it. Now, Mike mm. Now Mike was apparently very, very open to artists taking his music and doing something new with it. He was very much like on the cutting edge, like he wanted to maintain that relevancy to the point where most of Justin Timberlake's solo album was originally yeah. supposed to go to Michael Jackson, Justified. Okay, well, and, and actually, I can't remember, but how did Nas get the clearance for that? And didn't, uh, was it Q-Tip that did that song? Which one? Uh, it ain't hard to tell. Oh, did uh, Q-Tip do that one? Someone did that. I forgot who did. I that think deep. it was. Uh, no, it's definitely Nas. That's Illmatic. That's Nas. And is it? But deep, was is it, it Q-Tip it, though? Uh, I don't think Q-Tip produced that one. I think Q-Tip and Nas did One Love off of Illmatic. That's their. Okay. That's their joint venture. I thought it was one of the uh, the Tribe guys that actually produced that record. I could totally be wrong. I, I might be wrong myself, but I'm pretty sure with that one, it was either DJ Premier or Pete Rock. The, oh, you're right. You're right. Those you're were right, the producers yeah. that were really heavy on that album where DJ Premier. But how do you fare with Michael Jackson's sample in that? How do you think that got cleared? I'm sure it was paid. But okay. I mean, at that point, that was, yeah, but you know, that wasn't the first time that human nature was sampled. I think SWV sampled human nature as well on one of their songs. So honestly, if you want to talk about really sampling really in the early iterations of it, it was the wild west. Well, isn't that what happened with, uh, not cool in the gang. I'm sorry. I don't know why I thought of cool in the gang. I wouldn't be surprised if they got sampled though. Oh, they're cool in the gang definitely got, cool in the cane definitely got sampled at some yeah, point. No, no, no. Um, they're too cool to not. <laughs> to not ah. be it just happens. Um, who was it? Sheik got sampled by Sugar Hill. Yeah, Sheik. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then they redid the instrumentation. Yeah. I remember listening to it. There's a difference between sampling and interpolation, which interpolation is where you redo you're, it, right? Yeah, you redo it and yeah. you replay it and whatnot. Bob Marley did interpolation. He took People Get Ready from Curtis Mayfield into One Love. I need to listen to that. Yeah, you, no, you definitely should. Listen, if you listen to One Love and People Get Ready, like back to back or side by side, it's a very similar progression. The melody is pretty similar. Okay. I mean, Bob does his own thing with it because Bob was Bob. You know, I, I want to bring that up because I think that actually is a pretty respectful way of doing- Of interpolation. Correct. And I think that interpolation is is a bit more respectful than just like straight sampling because if you're replaying it right. and kind of doing some things differently with it, you are kind of making it more of your own or you're putting more of your own spin on it versus just taking what was off of the record and then just adding new lyrics to it. And then calling it yours and not crediting the artist at all. Right. I mean, Dr. Dre built his entire career off of that as well. His first album, The Chronic, was a lot of interpolation where he would, where, yes, he sampled, but he replayed it. He didn't like just rip straight from. Take the masters and do yeah, whatever. He, yeah, he, he didn't just trade. Yeah, he didn't take from the the Leon record, the Leon Ware record, or he didn't just straight rip from uh, Parliament Funkadelic in that way. They were actually replaying it and adding some different instrumentation on it. But I think sampling is, is definitely very much an art form. And I get really upset when people discredit it and think that it's like not essential to music. I think that's very wrong. I think it's important for the music ecosystem because to be fair, I mean, that's what collages are. Yeah. You know, before we had sampling and collages in the visual sense, some of the greatest artists of all time, they had collages. We wouldn't be anywhere in the art world if we didn't have some sort of collage type art going on. Right. And even with food, uh, fusion. Absolutely. Cooking. That's why in the sampling world, they call it cooking up a beat. 
I think for those who may have their doubts on sampling, once again, back to Kanye, Kanye samples really well, despite the fact that it's rubbed some of the artists the wrong way. I would say he's probably one of the most iconic samplers. I mean, that whole chipmunk soul thing, like once he did it, I feel like everybody kind of jumped on that train. But Jay Dilla, too, in a big way. Jay Dilla, I think, is arguably, in my perspective, from a hip hop perspective, Jay Dilla is one of, if not the greatest producer of all. You get my stamp of approval. Yeah, from from. From my perspective, he's definitely the greatest because just the way that the man would take the individual elements, a lot of times he wouldn't rip just a straight song. He would take a bunch of small pieces of these deep cut records and then completely repurpose it without the aid of technology either, completely by ear, no quantization is truly phenomenal. I mean, Don't Cry is one of the best ways of sampling ever in history because he took that obscure song by the S courts and literally just chopped up individual pieces and reconstructed a completely new melody of it. Meanwhile, he made that while he was on a hospital bed, stricken with, what is it, lupus or something, which is like the blood disease. So the fact that the man was knocking on death's door, not knocking on heaven, I guess knocking on heaven's door. Well, I door, guess, well, it depends where you're going. Knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> it depends but, on who it is. <laughs> but he was approaching death and made that as equally impressive. I could take an entire episode just to talk about Dilla. How do you feel with Donuts? Donuts is a great album. I think that there are definite standouts of it. I think that's an album where you kind of have to listen to that. You have to appreciate him as an artist first before you can really appreciate Absolutely. Donuts. I think some of the stuff with Jay Dilla, you really got to look at some of the stuff he was doing with like Tribe and um, they had a word, um, a soul Quarian. Jay Dilla was big with D'Angelo, was big with Erica Badu. Was Donuts from 06, 07? 06. And wasn't that 06. his last LP? It was his last one yeah. before he died. Of course, Jay Dilla paired up with Common on Like Water for Chocolate. I think it was 06 or 07. He passed before the album came out. I know that for sure. And then how old was he? He was like in his mid 30s. It's like Bob Marley. Yeah, it was a blood disease that got to him. But Donuts, I think, set a big standard for a lot of the independent producing of hip hop that we hear today. There is a, an indie flavor to Donuts. More experimental, I think. Yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like you have to listen to it start to finish and not skip anything. Because yes. if you're just taking bits and pieces, <laughs> you're like, I don't get it. But, but that's kind of how I feel albums need to be. But I can understand the aesthetic of an album where you want to be able to just pick a song and appreciate it. That's an art as well. But I really think that albums are much better in context of the whole album. Yeah, but very much like what's going on. I feel like you have to listen to that start to finish. But that was an era where the album was king and... And obviously gay, just a master of the album. Well, master of the concept album, too. That was one of the first big concept albums. I mean, there were a few artists that did it beforehand. The Who did it numerous times with like Tommy and Quadrophenia. I know Pink Floyd got huge for that. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I mean, well, The Wall. The Beatles technically have done that. Didn't yeah. they do that with uh, Sergeant Pepper's, Sergeant Pepper's, Sergeant Pepper's yeah, that's, concept yeah, that's album? Yeah, a concept album. Yep. Yeah. That was from 67. Pet, yep, Pet Sounds also is a concept. Even though the person who was actually credited with one of the first concept albums is going to shock you. It's Frank Sinatra. No, I actually did know that. I actually knew that. You, you knew that? I did know that. I forgot the album name, but I did know that one. In the wee small hours yes. of the yes. morning. Um, Where's my badge? <laughs> yes. But I mean, for our audience at home mm -hmm. who may not know that, Frank Sinatra <laughs> is technically by a lot of music critics, uh, music historians, musicologists credited for one of the first mainstream concept albums within the wee small hours of the morning, which also was kind of that heartbreak <laughs> music. Also, was Frank Sinatra his generation's Drake in a big way? I don't know. Kind of. Maybe. 
They both sang about heartbreak and got very renowned for it. They were some of the wealthiest musicians at their time. I'm going to ask an honest question. Really going to ask an honest question. What's and that? I'm going to say that a third what? time right now. I'm not going to What's say that? Yeah, you're going to repeat it one more time. Right? Just for the okay. I'm going to ask an honest question. What's that? Said honest question. I don't know too much about Frank. I know more about Perry Como than I know about Frank Sinatra. But was it like the same situation with like Elvis that he was doing more covers or did he do a lot of more original music? Uh, I can't remember. It's a little bit of both. I think Elvis. So Elvis was much more of a cover artist than Frank Sinatra. Mm, uh, uh, that's wow. I feel like that's Sorry. no, no, that's okay. <laughs> it's a legitimate no, 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 this is great. This is this is because I know what I know, but this I don't is, know no, what no, I don't this know. is great. This is thought provoking material, but I just I have to be very careful about how I address this, just because with sure. my extensive knowledge on music history, I don't want to say anything that's misinformative, especially with regards to especially that time in American history. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, you can look at it with you know the the Beatles taking a lot from Chuck Berry too, in that sense where um, they repurposed Chuck Berry and Muddy Waters tracks into their own things. I consider the Beatles kind of turning more into like a cover band in sound because of that whole Elvisy type culture. I think they went from that into a much more original and rounded band. But I mean, come on, come together and Chuck Berry. That's almost a direct rip. And John Lennon even admitted that. Look, I mean, I'm not I'm not a Beatles head. I'm not. Like I, no, neither guys. am I. But the thing with Frank and Elvis in respect to the whole covers thing or repurposing songs were made by other artists and piggybacking off of it. I know it was a trend. Though. Yeah, I know. Oh, it was a, oh, I know it was part of the culture. That was standard practice right. for that time. It was wrong, like Paola was. Paola was incredibly wrong because they were basically bribing DJs to play music. And the idea of of this whole thing too was was wrong in terms of taking R and B, blues, and a black artists' music and hey, what's up? Making themselves financially wealthy off of their music, while a lot of the black artists got severely underpaid in comparison or not paid at all, is wrong. But the thing with Elvis, Elvis was very much more the person to kind of take the cover route, um, especially early in his career before he started writing more of his own music. Frank. He had writers writing songs for him. I don't think he really wrote, I don't think a single lick of lyric. Really? Very much like almost like Elton John did in that sense, where Elton John obviously relied on one lyricist, Bernie Taupin. Um, but Frank Sinatra kind of had a team of writers. And then, of course, at that time, since Sinatra was in the category of jazz, really, and, mm -hmm. and seeing a lot of that big band standards, there was the whole idea of songs that were just standard for many different artists to cover. And he would cover these songs. And that was his thing. Of course, you know, he went into more original territory on like in the wee small hours of the morning, which is right. why. Why that's regarded as a big concept album. And then, of course, all the stuff he did with one of my musical heroes, Quincy Jones. So to answer that question, it's a yes and no on that perspective, especially with Frank and Elvis in the sense that Elvis really did derive a lot from the black music aesthetic. And he's come out very much open about that, saying, yes, I was inspired by gospel. I was inspired by rhythm and blues. I was inspired by all of that thing. And the thing is, people take a major dump on Elvis for financially piggybacking off of those sounds. But little do they really know that, you know, he, in a way, brought that to the mainstream a bit more. And in a way, you know, also he, I mean, whether people would care to admit it or not, I mean, if you look at the interviews, it did seem like he had a genuine respect for the music that he was doing. 
It didn't seem like a situation a la your boy Chet Hanks, who did this whole dance hall thing speaking in Patois. And of course, he's going to claim that it's a it's a genuine appreciation, but it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem genuine. And another example of it would be Miley Cyrus, actually, with that Bangers album where she was quoted as I saying heard that one was a train wreck. Yeah, she was quoted as saying, yeah, that that sound was going to make me money. And now I'm over it. Like she did it for one album and had some of her some, some legitimate big hits uh we can't stop was a big hit you know some big hits there's actually a song off that record i really like which is the the first song i think it's like adore you or something i like that song that's a that's a good song but one good song obviously cannot redeem a bad record of, of course not especially when it comes from that place where it's like you didn't even really have as much of a genuine appreciation for it and you know that because she only had that sound basically for that album and then ditched it completely because that next record was back to country and now she's actually in an 80s rock kind of aesthetic now modeling herself after like Joan Jett and Pat Benatar you know and that's the elephant in the room it's almost like we're bored with innovating and we just want to like rehash new things I don't want something from like 20 30 no 40 50 years ago I don't need that right now because I've already heard it a billion times which is why I thought what was the one last train home yeah good song but I don't want a full album of it No, absolutely not. And I think there's a fair amount of people, I I don't know this for a certain fact, but at least from what I've looked on comment sections and the internet at large, I feel like there's a fair amount of people who are getting tired of this too. Yeah, people did not like, oh, Isaac, you're way too critical. Like, oh, just wait, you'll get tired of it. Yeah, but I think that's starting to really come around a lot more because I'm seeing comments as, you know, why do we need 80s revival? Why don't we just kind of do our own thing? In a big way, one of the biggest bands been listening to on heavy rotation is Tame Impala. I think the reason why Tame Impala is going to last, especially in comparison to other bands who have tried this, a la the 1975 GVF. The reason why Tame Impala is going to last is because they have the spirit of 70s psychedelic rock, but then they're bringing in modern production elements. They're bringing in 808s, taking very much the spirit of like a lot of that music and making it fresh. In a way, Bruno's done that too, actually, in a big way. He's done that pretty well. Also, granted, I mean, there's people who have mixed feelings on Bruno Mars right now. He's been accused of being a culture vulture for some of his songs, but... Oh, wow. People are catching up to that, too. But I feel like he struck that balance pretty well, too, in terms of the sonic aesthetic of an era, whether it be the 80s or the 90s, which is really what he's been pulling from. Now going into the 70s with like the Silk Sonic thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, dude. Well, the 70s, I mean, because I mean. You make it look like you're running out of ideas when you do stuff like that. I mean, but yes, I mean, that song is way better than some of the songs it's I've good. Been, been hearing recently. <laughs> but I mean, I would be lying to you if I said that that didn't sound like an Earth, Wind & Fire song. Of course it did. That it didn't sound like a Marvin Gaye song. Of course it did. Or the stylistics. Of course it did. (laughs) Which, they, it sounded like all of those guys. It sounded like the stylistics. It sounded like Marvin Gaye. The key changes sounded like Earth, Wind, and Fire. When you are a throwback artist, I think you're wasting your talent. I think well, you can it. go ahead and tell that to the Black Keys, who have doing a throwback blues album. I have been feeling that of, way about them for a long of, time. Off um, of, what's his name, Junior. Yeah, the, the blues artist Junior. I'm blanking on his last name right now, but they're making an entire album, which is just a throwback. Why can't people be more like Radiohead and just do something different? That's true. And Radiohead doesn't always hit either. No, they're not always that interesting, but they're doing different stuff. And you know what I love about them is they're not, they don't give into trends. And even though Radiohead in some ways are very overrated, they are very underrated. 
Oh, d- definitely. They're always going against what people want them to do. They just do whatever sure. the heck that they want. And I just wish that more artists, especially big artists, mm. had that attitude. No, you don't have to sound like them. I mean, don't rip them off. But yeah. at least each album is different. They are probably one of the only bands that I know of. They just changed the game. Right. It's like they released an album in 2020. It sounds like 2020. They released an album in 2025. It always yeah. sounds relevant some of the, to some, what they're doing. Yeah, some of the stuff from Kid A still sounds very good, even 20, 21 years later. The standouts, in my opinion, are the ones that many Radiohead fans would say are even too mainstream, being, you know, OK Computer, Kid A, and In Rainbows. Those are the ones that I enjoy the most. I know a lot of hardcore radio hands would be Radiohead fans would be like, what about the Benz? What about Hail to the Thief? They're good. What about what's the one with Lotus Flower on it? King of the Limbs or whatever. Yeah, King of the Limbs. King of the Limbs. 2011, I think. Yeah. What about those records? What about those underappreciated gems? They're kind of like the Beatles. You can't really go wrong with either record. It's just depends on what your tastes are but that is my taste for radiohead is that more lively but still melancholic sound i did like moonshape pool too yeah moonshape was good even though i felt like that was much better as a cohesive album from start to finish not skipping in comparison to tracks from in rainbows or okay computer which you can take those songs individually and appreciate those it's not even just a genre it's more so just a spirit of radiohead the spirit that they have as creatives yeah it's always about what do you boys want to do? Let's do something different. I mean, it's, just, it's nice. Yeah, because nobody was doing stuff like Everything in Its Right Place or Pyramid Song. At hey, that let's time. parody Led Zeppelin, you know, like back in 73. <laughs> no, really. I mean, there are these bands, which is exactly what GVF do. Yes. It's good. It's just, it's like you have creatively given up. Here's the thing about GVF. They realized that they got pinpointed to Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And now on their second album, they're like, well, what other 70s bands can we rip off? <laughs> no. What what other ones can we rush? Unapologetic. Yeah. Rush. Rush. Uh, yeah. Aerosmith. Deep Purple. So, I mean, <laughs> I think there's, once again, a lot to be said about artistic integrity. I'm really excited to see where we go from this point forward. And I mean, even with some songs maybe sounding a bit recycled. I think that there's a time for it. Yeah. I think my gripe is more so the abuse of it. Right. That's what I don't like. So, I, but there are artists- sometimes like I have artists that that totally throw back and I'm okay with it. It's fine in little pieces. I just don't want an artist to wait in between four and five years and then release an album. It's exactly what Paramore did. Ah, uh, it's exactly what they did with After Laughter. I thought it was terribly out of place and cheesy, and it should have been a concept album. And it should have been like a B side album. Like, okay, here is an album on a side that we did, but I didn't wait four years for you to do this after you already waited another four years in between. It was Brand New Eyes and Self Titled. But I mean, we, we go to the four years thing and, you know, the artists that we kicked off the show with, Lord, John Mayer. Foster the people do it too. You know, Adele, you know, in that way too. And the fact that she hasn't come out with anything. For me, I'm very curious to see, are these albums going to have enough original material and enough of an original sound to stack up on their own? Or are they going to sound you know like- You What? I think Lord and Adele, they're good enough where they can get away with that. It's not my preference, but yeah. they can get away with I'm very, the four or five year thing. Yeah. There's artists that can definitely do that. But not every artist can get away with that. Oh, no, 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 no. I think some artists, like, they have to kind of continue the momentum yeah. or else it's just yes. not going to work. But, but those women, they have a gift. Yeah, definitely. But I'll be curious to hear. Cardi, I, I'm not talking about you. Go on. <laughs> what? Shots fired. Yes. But I'm still very curious because the only one that really has the confirmed album is John with that one coming out very soon. Look in the mirror, Mayor. Yes. (laughs) And I think that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Wow. Did we get into a lot of deep discussions? We opened up some potential ideas for you guys to hear about in this next iteration. Overall, I did it half awake too. 
But sometimes that's the best. Sometimes if you're a little tired, you're just a little more relaxed. You can let your inhibitions out. But uh, I look like I'm on a crack or something. It's hard, man. Oh, no, no, no. That's not it. Well, do you want to close things out? Because I always open these podcasts. You can, you can close it out, man. Yeah, dude. My man, Mitch. He's amazing. Check yes. out his new stuff coming out. Yes, very soon. And uh, I'm aiming to release some stuff myself. But uh, for the meantime, you can hear us ramble and talk about ridiculous stuff and music. Got to drop some gems. We'll give you some good music recommendations. We'll let you know what's up. Keep it 100, man. New stuff coming, guys. Work, so, work, tape, pod, work tape podcast forever. Let's go. Peace.